Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. This morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. But I'd like to begin by a quote from Will Rogers. He said, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather who died peacefully in his sleep and not screaming like all the passengers in his car. It is possible that we are asleep at the wheel. And our desire in our study is to recognize that there's a much larger story that's surrounding us that we are inside of. And that story is singular in nature. It is unified, and at the center of it is Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes sense of all the stories, and he is the one who is able to put together all the pieces to the puzzle that we called life. So I'd like us to continue our study of the single story which has Jesus at the center. We will be moving from Passover, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, to Pentecost. We will likewise celebrate the ascension of Jesus, the enthronement of Jesus, and we will note his mission as it continues to advance. But let's put things in perspective. Just a short three days, we had Passover, day one. And 40 days later, we will have the ascension of Jesus Christ. And 10 days after that, or 50 days after Passover, we will have Pentecost. And we will be looking at all these pieces as the story continues to unfold. But our passage for this morning is Luke chapter 24, 13 through 35. It's the two disciples walking to Emmaus, being accompanied by Jesus, and him being known to them through the breaking of the bread. And their eyes were opened, and we're wanting to understand how all these various pieces fit inside that singular story. We'll begin in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 12. But before we move any further, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We are confident that the Spirit of God will open our hearts and minds to the text of Scripture and that in it we will see Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to these truths and that in this text we would see Jesus. We ask this for his glory and name. Amen. Let's begin in chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Here we have the first scene. They're at the tomb. It's his resurrection. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are told that he is not here for he has risen, just as he said. The angel and Jesus remind them of what is true. The story is true. The second scene on the road to Emmaus, verses 13 through 35, is what we will be looking at in our study. He reminds them in the study of what is true. He is alive and the story as it has been told, is coming to pass. The third scene is in a room. Perhaps it's the upper room in verses 36 through 49. And again, he reminds them of what is true. And the fourth and final scene in Luke chapter 24 in verses 50 through 53 is from the mount called Olivet, and it's his ascension, his enthronement. And we're going to be noting all these things in the coming studies. However, today we're looking at Luke 24, 13 through 35. Here we will see that the story as told is true. Jesus is alive, and he is known to us through the study of the text. Our passage has four parts. 
13 through 24 expresses the confusion that the two disciples had as they journeyed from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And then verses 25 through 29, Jesus expounds to them from the Tanakh what the Old Testament says concerning himself. And then the revelation, the knowing, when the two disciples recognize that this is indeed Jesus Christ. And then the declaration in verses 33 through 35. But let's look at those various pieces in the reading of this particular text. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 of chapter 24. Follow along as I read. That very day, two of them were going up to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, and the idea behind the language is that they were debating among themselves as to what actually has happened because they heard the report and they were now confused as to what had transpired. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They did not know him. Verse 17, he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? He recognized that the two were discussing or debating the events that had just transpired. And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen even a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. There is this significant confusion taking place in their minds. This event on the road to Emmaus is happening the same day as the resurrection. It's all part of that same day. Three days earlier was Good Friday. Six days earlier is Palm Sunday where Jesus Christ is coming riding on that donkey and he's being celebrated as the Son of God, Son of Man. And now, eight days later, they're saying that he has risen from the dead. But we can see their confusion in verses 13 through 24. They're talking and discussing, they're debating among themselves as to what exactly has happened. And they were looking sad, they were confused. And then when Jesus comes alongside, he asks them the question, well, what's happening? And they respond by saying, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things? And he responds by saying, what things? You can hear the bantering taking place. And they explain to them what they heard from the witnesses. And then in verse 21, they say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What they found was not what they expected. They came expecting an occupied tomb and left finding an empty tomb. They were fully believing that the one to come, the Messiah, that Jesus was going to redeem Israel. And for them, that meant destroy the Egyptians, destroy the Canaanites, destroy the Assyrians, destroy the Babylonians, 
destroy the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and now hopefully destroy the Romans. But what happened? You see, Jewish history isn't about God destroying their enemies, but God fulfilling his promises to provide a seed and a sacrifice so that the nations, all the nations of the world, would be blessed and not destroyed. See, Luke's intent is to tell a story verifying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive and he is Lord and the inauguration of God's fulfillment of his promises. The story that we read, the story told is true and Jesus Christ is alive. Now let's look at verses 25 through 29. So we understand the context. We understand the confusion that existed in the minds of his disciples. And that confusion is real. It's genuine. You and I, as the people of God, would have that same kind of confusion if we were present. But notice what happens in verses 25 through 29. Jesus then says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 26 says it was necessary. It was absolutely essential that Jesus Christ, the son of God, offer up himself for the sins of the world. It emphasizes this idea. And then notice verse 27, which all of us who are the people of God celebrate this idea. In verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted. It's a compound word, which means he thoroughly explained to them how he was in the text, how the text of Scripture spoke of this moment in time. Jesus expounded what is called the Tanakh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the Nevim, the prophets, and the Kethuvim, the writings. Jesus Christ showed them where he was in the text, that this moment in time was spoken of by the prophets. He is the fulfillment of this moment. Often, as the people of God, we think, wouldn't it have been great to be one of those two disciples hearing Jesus thoroughly explain the biblical text? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I believe, tell us what Jesus said. He cites the Old Testament text. He shows us how he is in the text of Scripture. What you and I see as various pieces is really one puzzle. It's one story. I have next to me a bin full of puzzles. This one has a thousand pieces, and it's a picture of multiple donuts. Now, let's just say I took all of these puzzles, and I emptied them in this bin, and I removed from us the pictures. And I invited you to put all those various puzzles and pieces together. Well, for me personally, I would find the task not only daunting, but almost impossible. But then let's say I give you the picture. And then let's say I color code every puzzle. Well, folks, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the picture. We have a single story, and at the center of it is Jesus. And Jesus color codes all the puzzles He color codes all the pieces so that they fit perfectly. And that's what he is doing for those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And that's what the Spirit of God does for us. So when we study the Scripture, we can see how it tells a single unified story, and at the center of it is Jesus Christ. And that's what he did for them on that day. But there's another problem that we have inside the text. Notice what it says in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And what did the prophets say? Verse 26. Was it not necessary? Was it, was it not a, a must or a ought that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In order for the garden to be restored, the Son of God must suffer. The serpent's seed had to crush his heel. The sacrifice had to be killed. The blood had to be shed. There is no atonement, no restoration, no rescue, no deliverance, no salvation without the shedding of blood. Sam Harris is a notable writer for atheists. And he makes the statement, The notion that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that his death constitutes a successful propitiation of a loving God is a direct and undisguised inheritance of the scapegoating vulgarity that has plagued bewildered people throughout history. Viewed in a modern context, it is an idea at once so depraved and fantastical that it is hard to know where to begin to criticize it. From their reason, from the unbelieving, why would anyone, let alone God, offer up their own child for the sin or offense of another against them? It does not make any sense when you look at the idea of atonement, redemption, propitiation, justification. It doesn't make any sense when you think of a substitutionary sacrifice that God would make on our behalf through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This way of reasoning is true. It is why we call the cross a scandal or an atrocity. From our vantage point, it does not make any sense. Yet God's ways are always far beyond our ways. And the question isn't, can you explain it? The question is, will you accept it? Will you accept what the Bible says is true? Can you accept the fact that you can't, but God can and Jesus did? And this is how the scriptures are explained to the disciples. Now look at verses 30 through 32. We come from a place of confusion. Then you have this exposition or explanation by our Lord Jesus Christ where he thoroughly expounds to them the scripture. He ties all the pieces together. Now look at the revelation in verses 30 through 32. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. In verse 35, as the disciples share this with others, it says, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So our Lord Jesus Christ is sharing with them a meal and he takes the bread and he breaks the bread to give to his disciples. And in the breaking of the bread, in, through the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened. They began to connect the dots. They saw how all the various pieces began to come together. And in that, they saw Jesus Christ. Why did they need to have their eyes opened? Well, because the Bible says that their eyes are closed by sin. This reminds us when we read in the text that their eyes were opened, it 
calls us back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, where the serpent says to Eve, in eating your eyes will be opened. What the serpent propagated, the cross will annihilate. See, in Genesis 3, 4 through 7, sin closed their eyes to God and then opened their eyes to sin and death. And there was this tree of life, this symbol, this type, this idea that was now placed out of reach, this eternal life. We see that in Proverbs, we see in Revelation, this reference being made to a tree of life. All of that language is symbolic of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the tree of life. And we come to Luke 24, verses 16, 30, and 31. And that which was once closed is now opened, and their eyes are open to righteousness and life. They see this in the person and work of Jesus. And in Jesus, their eyes are now closed to sin and death. There's this reversal of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And in this symbolism, the shadow, this type of the bread, this type of the, the wine, the juice, we have Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verses 53 and following, Jesus says to those in his audience, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life. And many people found that idea or thought repugnant. They could not accept this idea. But what Jesus spoke of was that unless you accept him as Lord, unless you accept him as the one whom God has raised from the dead, you cannot be saved. When did this revelation, this opening happen? When he was breaking the bread. They were to look through the shadow to the substance. We do not see Jesus in the element, but through the element, we see Jesus. The elements are like windows through which we see Jesus Christ. The shadow, the type, are simply pointers, not providers. And thus, as we see these things, we can see through them our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was in the breaking of the bread that Jesus Christ was made known to them. Look at verse 31 of our text. Notice what it says. It says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They knew him. Both of those words opened and knew or recognized are compound words. They're heightened words with prefixes. And the idea of opening is to open thoroughly like the eyes of a newborn child popping open. And they see for the first time. That's the idea. The Spirit of God opened their eyes and they saw, they knew. It's a compound word. They thoroughly knew. That same word is found in verse 16 of our text where it says, but their eyes were kept from knowing him. And now their eyes are opened so that they do know him. This is the revelation. And when they then shared, notice in verses 32 and following, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? This is what they encountered. Their hearts burned within them as Jesus exegeted the text, connected the dots, put together the pieces. He set their hearts on fire. How does this happen? How are our eyes opened to the scripture, to Christ? Well, it's us asking the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and do that sure work in the people of God. Spirit, open our hearts to see Christ in the biblical text. Enable us to know him. And then notice how our text closes. What happens next? 
So we know that they were confused as they left Jerusalem heading back to Emmaus. We know that Jesus Christ accompanied them and he expounded to them the scripture. He connected for them the dots. He put all the pieces together. They invited him to stay with them. And as he was breaking the bread, he was known to them. They saw through the element, the substance, the antitype. They saw Christ. The Spirit of God helped them to connect all these dots. And they saw Jesus. But notice then what happens in 33 through 35. And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. We'll note that in just a moment. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now we have declaration. They ran back to Jerusalem that was seven miles away. There's two interesting thoughts that I, I would propose for you. First, they were leaving because Passover was over. Remember, Jerusalem was a city of about 50,000 people. Passover was one of the pilgrim feasts. It would swell to about 150 to 200,000 people. And after the feast days were done, they would all go back home. But the second idea that I would propose to you is that if you're a disciple of Jesus and your Messiah was just crucified, I think it would be very difficult to align with or identify with him at this time. And yet, when they saw him, they ran back to Jerusalem to tell his disciples what had happened. It is as we know and learn from him that we can go and tell of him. This is what they did. They declared it. What do we do with this? Well, first of all, the story is true. We are people of the resurrected Christ. Jesus Christ is alive and he is known and knowable to us through this text of scripture. And what they found, those early disciples, was not what they expected. They came expecting an occupied tomb and left finding an empty one. The question isn't, as we read the story, the question isn't, can we explain it? The question is, can we accept it? Can you accept that you can't, but God can, and Jesus did? You cannot save yourself, but God can save you, and Jesus did. The simplicity of the gospel never changes. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is as we know and learn from him through the text of Scripture that we can go and tell of him. So what do we do with this? As the people of God, what do we do with this? Well, if like those early disciples, you find yourself afraid, if perhaps you enter moments of doubting and you're questioning, well, let me encourage you to go back to the empty tomb. The empty tomb verifies for us that Jesus Christ is alive. If you find yourself afraid or perhaps questioning whether or not the story is indeed true, go back to the table. It is in the breaking of the bread that we can see through it to him. His body was broken. His blood was shed in order that you and I, as the people of God, would be saved. If you find yourself afraid, if you Find yourself questioning and wondering, well, is this all true? Go back to the scripture. Study the scripture. See it as a single story with Jesus at the center. The spirit of God is going to take the word of God and do a sure work in the people of God. It is through the text that you know him, that we know him. And then finally, if you find yourself wondering, well, is this true? If you find yourself afraid because of all that is transpiring in the horizontal, well, then go back to the mission. Come and see the empty tomb and then go and tell that he is risen. 
He is risen indeed. That's what we are to do as the people of God. So as we consider the text, let's go back to Jesus. Let us pray that the Spirit of God will open our eyes to who He is and what He has done and who we are in Him. Let us celebrate that He is not only Lord, but that He is alive. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the opportunity that we have to gather as Your people around Your Word. And like those early disciples, open our eyes to the truth of Scripture in the study of the text. Show us Jesus. Thank you, Father, for these moments as your people. Use them to enrich us. Now, having come and seen, may we go and tell. May we go and tell. Thank you, Father, for these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.